for everything indie. For everything indie. For everything cults. It's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. Welcome back in, Colts fan, to another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey alongside George Bremer. Post-game pod edition, Thursday night football edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod as the Colts somehow win 12 tonight. And George, we have a lot to get into here. Mostly negatives from this just ugly, God-forsaken, you can argue, you know, crime against humanity game that we just watched for the last four hours. But let me ask you this, because this is personally something I've never felt as a fan. And I just feel like there's nowhere else to go but right now. Or there's nowhere else to start, I should say, but right here. The Colts win the game. They win 12 to 9. I personally have never felt worse after a win than I do right now. I don't really know how many Colts fans can feel good about this win. The Colts are 2-2-1. and one. The season's not over. But with how ugly this game was, offensive, with how inept they looked, zero touchdowns, Matt Ryan's under siege all damn game, bad turnovers, like there was just so much negativity coming out of this that even though somehow they improbably won, improbably won the game, I really don't feel good. I I, don't, I really don't, honestly don't know what to make of it, George. I've never felt like this before. It's so weird. But I think it's also so fitting with how bad this game was. Yeah, well, yeah, it was historic. I mean, I uh, mean first time in NFL history that, that two quarterbacks, two starting quarterbacks with four or more Pro Bowl appearances between them played a game and no touchdowns were scored. So a historic game there in Denver, historically bad. And you saw the home crowd leaving at the end of regulation. They had the right idea. They, they knew what was going on. Um, I am oddly serene. I was talking about this with you a little bit uh, before we got on the air. I It's the first time all year that, that it makes sense to me. The first game all year that I understand what happened and that uh, what we thought we were going to see coming in is exactly what we saw. Really bad football, no doubt about it. Um, I, I, you know, the Colts found a way to win. And there's something to be said for that. Some tiny little itty bitty minuscule thing to be said for that on a day like this. Uh, I think more, you got to hand it to Denver. They just wanted this loss more. And they, and they <laughs> took it. But, you know, I, I, I come away from this feeling this defense is taking steps. They're, they're taking strides, uh, especially without Shaq Leonard. They're, they're making things happen. That's one good thing. Alec Pierce gets better every week. I give him some credit. Deion Jackson kind of made a name for himself on a national stage. Outside of that, everything else was in F. Everything else is, is absolute failure. Uh, Chase McLaughlin. Chase McLaughlin gets, gets an A. Um, but really, I mean, the offense... The offensive line is irreparably broken. That, that's where I feel right now. And I think that's why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Because you look at this offensive line right now and you just think, who are they going to be able to move the football on? That's it. You you hit the nail on the head, George. That's why I feel like, even though they won, I feel so like depressed. I have no energy, to be honest. Like That game drained every like ounce of life out of me. And it's a win, and it's so weird. But you're right. I, for me, I think it's the offensive line and how bad they looked. Six more sacks allowed. 12 quarterback hits allowed. And I think what's so demoralizing, George, is that they actually made a, a big-time change where you look at the five guys they rolled out there to start the game. I think on paper, and maybe even realistically, this was the best offensive line starting five combination you can have. Bernard Ryman at left tackle. You have, obviously, Big Q there at, uh, at left guard. You have Ryan Kelly at center. 
And they slid Braden Smith inside at right guard, and you move Matt Pryor from left tackle, you move to right tackle. When they made that lineup switch, I was like, you know what? Let's go. Changes are being made. I think this is the best five guys you could have in the positions that they're in. And then you see the game, and it's like, holy smokes. This is somehow even worse than you could ever imagine with how under siege and how almost like Matt Ryan had no chance dropping back. And to the point where it almost felt like Frank Reich didn't want to call any pass plays. He's like, this is not going to work. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's really hard to to look at that and, and have any optimism. There's no question about it. If you want to make excuses for them, you know, they did it on a short week, which was kind of weird. You really didn't practice. It was a couple walkthroughs. So this unit hadn't played together except for a, a couple times in training camp. They'd shown it a couple times in training camp. That's about all the live reps they got. Uh, I know Bernard Raymond in particular really, really struggled early in this game. He had a bunch of penalties. Um, I think he's a guy who's going to make himself into something. I think, I think there's something there, uh, but it was a really hard assignment for him today. And he had trouble with it. There's no question about that. Uh, Matt Pryor didn't fare much better on the right side. I felt like, and I think this doesn't help the situation any, but I felt like the best the offensive line looked was late in the game. Those last two drives, the two field goal drives to tie it and to win it. When Ryan Kelly came out with a hip injury, I think when Danny Penner came in at center, they started to get a little more push in the run game. Now, what's not fair about that is Denver wasn't expecting them to run at that point. Because it's sort of like the, the situation in Houston where they had the best running that they've had all year late in that game because they were running against a defense that absolutely didn't expect a run. So it's hard really on both sides to say, well, how much of the struggles were due to the fact that they didn't take a single practice before this game versus how much of any steps forward they took were due to, you know, Denver's not very good against the run to begin with. And then they weren't expecting a run in, in, in those situations. That's why I, I, I give Deion Jackson some credit. He got an opportunity. He took advantage of it. I give Danny Penner some credit for coming in and, and getting that push. But I don't know that any of it means anything moving forward, if that makes any sense. You're right. It's almost concerning that when Ryan Kelly goes out and Danny Penner slides in at center, like they did after, like you said, they look the best um, that they have the entire game. They actually, you know, at times get Matt Ryan sliver of a second, right? Cause he went from no time to like at least a half second back there to, to drop back and make a few throws. But let's talk about George, the change in general. Cause you're right. We were talking about possible offensive line changes and we thought, you know, maybe there'd be a change going to the Tennessee game, but we kind of thought that would be the last kind of stand. You go into this game on Thursday and then now you have a basically a mini buy 10 days for the Jacksonville game. That is where you make your changes on the offensive line. If you're going to make them. And Frank Reich, Chris Strausser, whoever made the call said, screw it, we're making it now. And like you mentioned, on a short week, they roll out, roll out an offensive line that outside of, what, a few training camp practices, right, George? They have never really had um, playing together that much. Do you agree with the timings? I don't. I think that's the best five. And I will admit, hand up, I was excited when it was rolled out to start the game. But now you look and see how bad it was. It makes sense that they struggle because they've never played together before. And you have a few guys playing out of position. The timing is very suspect of making this move, like you mentioned, on a short week with zero practice time going against a defense that's still pretty good at getting after the quarterback. Yeah. And first of all, saying a few training camp practices is overselling. It's more like a few training camp drills. They did really? it a couple of times in just a couple segments of practice. I don't think there was one complete practice with this line. It was just something that we kept. They, they did it more than once, so it's stuck in your head. Like, hey, this is something they're at least thinking about. 
it, it was shocking to see them do it on a short week. There's no question about it. They come out of here with a win, and I think they're going to take that. Uh, but it obviously wasn't due to the switch on the offensive line. I, I don't know going forward if this is the line you're going to use. I would I would think so. Um, you know, one thing that we talked about off the air, it sounds crazy, but I think you're at the point where you need to do some crazy things. One other thing that they did way back in the spring was having Danny Pinner at center and Ryan Kelly at right guard. You know, I don't know. Is that a possibility? Move Braden Smith out to, to right tackle and then, you know, let Raymond and, and Pryor fight it out on the left side. It's a crazy thought, but I think you're at the point now with this line where crazy thoughts need to be considered. I mean, you're, I feel like we are broke record, George, but like every week it's like we're talking about basically the same thing, but it's almost sort of different with this with this line, whether it's miscommunication and not getting the blocks in, and now it's just everyone's getting beat, everyone's committing penalties at the worst possible time. And so you're right, like there's no more, there's no grace period, there's no like, uh, oh, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. Like there's no more, like we are in five weeks in, there's no more figuring it out. Like, like you said, this is, this is who they are. Now, the one thing I will say, and you mentioned it, right? Like they barely practice together. And even if just a few drills, which makes it even worse and makes the timing of this, even that much more confounding of why the hell would you roll out basically a brand new offensive line? And you don't have to, not like injuries are forcing you to do this on a short week when you have, again, so much time at your disposal on the other side of this game to implement to get everyone comfortable and give yourself a chance to succeed. Like, that's the thing, George. And this is what I used to love. This is what I've lost some love when it comes to Frank Reich. Because I thought for a lot of the criticism he does get, and now obviously this year, rightfully so. But I thought one of the things he did better than most coaches in the NFL was no matter what the position, especially in offense, he put his players in a chance to succeed. Whether it was quarterback, whether it was running back, whether it was receiver, tight end, offensive line, he was able to call plays and put guys in positions to where even if they're out of position for a game or a series, they st- he was still able to to you know manipulate in a way where they're not over their head and they could still kind of make some plays um, and figure it out. And then you go into this game where, again, you're going against, even without Randy Gregory, a, a, a ferocious defensive line that Denver has and you are now putting a rookie left tackle in Bernard Raymond who there's a lot like I said there's a lot of potential there he's been banged up with with an ankle injury so he's already been limited at practice the last like two or three weeks anyway and now on a short week you're going to put him out there for the first start of his career and you're going to move two or three other guys around to positions they're not really you know used to playing and outside of 15 or 20 snaps in a few offensive line drills. And it's like, that is not giving your team a chance to succeed. And for the first three quarters, this offense was even worse than we've normally seen. Like that. I don't even know what the vocab uh, vocab word is to describe how bad it was. It was, it was mind numbingly bad. And again, when you have a, a guy in Frank Reich, who's it felt like, scared to even call a few pass plays or because he just kind of knew it wasn't going to succeed or Matt Ryan almost giving up on plays before they even were ready to go because he figured it's not going to work. Like, that's a major issue. And so you at least mm-hmm. got to give your team a chance. And I felt like, for the most part, somehow they win the game, which is, uh, is still mind-boggling. But, it, like, that's the, the biggest frustration. Like, they they felt, to me, this offensive line and even Matt Ryan, and we'll get to him in a second here, but they felt like they had no chance to really have a, a real successful opportunity tonight. Yeah, no, it, it's really, it's hard to really understand why you make that call this week. Um, I think they thought maybe it would open up the run game a little bit. I know they, they had to be very, very, very upset with what 
happened against Tennessee. You go in there and that team's giving up 5.8 yards per carry and you only get 1.7 that day. Jonathan Taylor has 20 carries for 42 yards. It gets an ankle injury. Nothing about that is going to make you feel good about, you know, that group moving forward. And I'm guessing that is what drove this. I don't know if it should have. Uh, they got away with it. They can thank Stephon Gilmore for that. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're going to come out of here with a win. And I guess on the other side of this now, you do have a game under your belt. And you do have 10 days now to kind of gel together and, and maybe see if this unit can be better against a Jacksonville team that has absolutely dominated the Colts up front for about 10 years now. So I don't know. You know, I, I don't have an answer for why they did it this week. I'm sure Frank Reich's being asked that as we speak uh, by the by the guys who are out there in Denver. I'm sure it's going to be asked quite a bit through the week uh, coming up here. And I'm sure it's something we'll be talking a lot about going into the Jacksonville week. Uh, but for now, all I'll say is, you know, hats off to Stephon Gilmore for somehow saving their bacon. You're right about that. We'll get to Stefan here too, because he was one of the few bright spots tonight for sure. Um, quickly, George, I, I know it's still, you know, we have 10 days to the next game. I would roll this. I would give them, I want to give this line a chance to see what they can do. I'd roll them out the next game in Jackson. Would you as well? Or would you want to yeah. switch it up and I don't know, figure something, do another offensive line combination at this the, point? The only possible switch I would make is the one I just talked about. My crazy idea of moving Ryan Kelly to right guard and, and putting Braden Smith back at right tackle. That's the only move I would make. I think, this is probably the best combination of five that they've got. And, they, and they've said all along, they're going to put the best five out there uh, and we'll see what they can do. I mean, look, this was an awful game, but I guess I, I'm, it's probably not hitting me the same way because I expected it to be an awful game. I picked a 13 to 10 score. They, they, and with Denver winning. So they overperformed my projection. Um, I expected it to look really bad. And so it's probably not hitting me as hard because of that. But there's no question. I mean, six sacks, two more turnovers. This offense routinely shoots itself in the foot. And and I think the most frustrating part about that is right now, you've got other people starting to step up around that offense. Jelani Woods two weeks ago in the win against Kansas City. Mo Cox on Sunday against Tennessee. Alec Pierce all three of those weeks. But most yeah. especially today, hey, that catch he had in the fourth quarter, I don't know how he caught it. I, it, Ryan got hit on the throw. It looked absolutely for all the world that the best possible scenario there was a defensive guy was going to drop an interception mm -hmm. and Pierce somehow gets in front of him and catches the football. He is growing up before our eyes. Look, this offense deserves all the venom that it's going to get, but don't miss the fact that Alec Pierce is, is becoming a player. Let's talk about Pierce because you're right. Like this is by far his best game uh, of his, you know, very obviously short NFL career. Leading receiver for the Colts, eight catches, 81 yards. Like you mentioned, that one catch he had where he, you just think best case scenario, be a defensive back, knock it down. Instead, he saves the game for the Colts by not only just running interception, catches the ball, somehow gets a first down, uses his physical big build that you know. The Colts have been talking about, you know, leading into the draft and after the, you know, all training camp. And now you're starting to see this was really the first game where he asserted his physical dominance. You know, he, won, he caught some contested balls. There's a, there's a uh, first down he made early in the in the um, in the first half where he was tackled, but he catches the ball. They challenge it. They gets he gets the first down. Like he, you see his physicality now really starting to to, to come out. You see the confidence as well. He had a nice catch too, diving along the sideline to get out of bounds in the two-minute drill uh, to help get the Colts moved down the field. And it got to the point, George, where he was playing so well that the Broncos said, 
forget Michael Pittman Jr. We're taking our best corner in Patrick Sertan and we're throwing him Alec Pierce. Like, that's the ultimate sign of respect. And it's it's a good thing for the Colts because you know what? For a guy, Michael Pittman Jr., who clearly is their number one wide receiver and is clearly getting, you know, every defense's attention that they're going to play. It is great now that you are starting to see, like you mentioned, that second option on the outside start to develop to where now defenses can't just overload Michael Pittman Jr. and double team him every single play and put their best corner on him, basically take one half the field away. This is now starting to be a threat where you mentioned you're now starting to see a, a receiver in Alec Pierce gain confidence and now really start to be a factor for this Colts offense, one of the few bright spots on Thursday. And Paris Campbell may plays late for the second straight week. Um, I think that's what's so frustrating right now about the offensive line. If you want to have any reason for optimism moving forward, it's that if they somehow fix the line, which is like if they somehow bring someone back from the dead right now, feels like the same kind of percentage. <laughs> but if they somehow fix the offensive line, I mean, you've got guys stepping up, making defenses pay for for overloading against Michael Pittman. You would think this eventually would start opening up some lanes for Jonathan Taylor when you've got the tight ends doing what they've done the last couple of weeks, when you've got Alec Pierce making plays, now Paris Campbell's making plays. It just makes the problems with the offensive line and the problems with the quarterback more frustrating. I'm glad you brought the quarterback. Let's talk about that, Ryan, when we come back here because it's another turnover-filled, frustrating game from the Colts' current right now quarterback, so we'll get to Matt Ryan's performance here when the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return. Colts fans, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to include the Blue Horseshoe in your rotation as well. Find us wherever you get your pods. We are all over the map. Apple, Spotify, you name a podcast platform, we are there. George, coming off this game, you mentioned two of the most frustrating aspects. We talked a lot about the offensive line and their issues. And another big issue for the Colts. Now, granted, let's give Matt Ryan his due right now. He had a game-tying field goal drive late in the fourth quarter to get this game to overtime, and he led the Colts down the field in overtime to kick what was eventually the game-winning field goal for the Colts to win the game 12-9. His 44th game-winning drive of his career. Second all-time on active players, which is very impressive, only behind Tom Brady, which clearly, you know, Tom Brady at this point, there's no category he doesn't lead. So what else so, is new? So first among mortals is yeah. what you're telling me. <laughs> That's true. Among regular players, right? Like you mentioned, not aliens or, or father time beaters. Yes, Matt Ryan is number one. So take that for everyone else. Um, but so that, that at least we'll, I will give Matt Ryan his praise there. And he got the job done. And it, one more thing I'll say about Matt Ryan, to his credit. Every single game this this year so far, we've seen one trend, and that is the Colts do have played in the uh, the Colts play better in the second half. They play better in the fourth quarter. And that's a lot, a lot of times led by belief and the leadership other quarterback in Matt Ryan. He's always inspiring. He's never allowing anyone to get down. He's always himself thinking this team has a chance. That has been infectious for this team. And again, in a game especially on Thursday, George, I thought this team was dead. They were down 6-0. It felt like the game was over. They tied the game 6-6. I'm like, this does not feel like a tie. Like This, this, this does not feel like this game right now is anyone's game. Even when they're down 9-6, it just felt insurmountable. So even when the game feels so out of reach, credit Matt Ryan, he, again, does get the job done on Thursday night and, again, leads them to a win that felt improbable, kind of like the Chiefs won as well. Yeah, well, you know, I tweeted they were dead, so I'll, I'll own that. After <laughs> the, the fourth down conversion, the fourth them. down, you know, yeah. But after the fourth down conversion, when when uh, Russell Wilson had the completion there, the clock's running down. I thought for all the world they're going to kick a field goal and take a six-point lead. This game is over, and the, the Broncos have won it. And 
you know, defense again stepped up and and look, we were talking about Gilmore earlier, and I'm sure we'll do that some more here in a little bit. Grover Stewart blocked the field goal. Mm-hmm. DeForest Buckner was an absolute monster in the middle of the line. Like he was just destroying the, the the interior of that Denver line. But this defense, they overcame an interception deep in their own territory, held them to a field goal. I think that's the one when, when Grover blocked the field goal, actually. Came off that field with, with no points. They get that interception in the end zone after I declared them dead on Twitter. They get a, a breakaway, a breakup by Stevon Gilmore in the end zone at the end of the game. The defense deserves a lot of credit. I know that Denver's not a good offensive team, and I know Denver struggled all year, but the defense was put in some really tough situations, and they came through, and they're the reason they won this game. What I'm upset with right now with Matt Ryan, these turnovers now, 10 of them through five games, he's fumbled 11 times, which I think as the scroll's been saying throughout the show is the most through five games since the 1970 merger. He's thrown now seven interceptions, I believe. Seven interceptions. Um, so that's how you get to 10, right? Seven interceptions, three lost fumbles. Uh, not, Matt's not my strong suit here, but I think you that's how you it. get to 10. That boss education paying off. Exactly. <laughs> I need Blaine Bishop back to get my back here, but right now. But yeah, no, I, I feel like he's trying to do too much. We talked about this earlier. I feel like he's trying to do too much on every play because he doesn't trust that the next down will be there. Because of the way that the line has been, and it's not an excuse. As a 14-year veteran, he should know better. Or 15th year now, he should know better. I'm not not taking him off the hook for any of this. I just think that's what's happening. You, it just seems like he's trying to get 20 yards instead of 10. He's trying to get a completion instead of throwing a ball away. He's trying to to hang in there that extra second for a deep pass because he doesn't trust that if they don't take this opportunity, another one will come. And he's got to get out of that mindset. I feel like Philip Rivers was very much the same way in 2020 early. The numbers weren't quite as bad because I think the running game was was a little bit better and he wasn't getting hit on every snap. So I think those things were a little bit more manageable. Mm-hmm. But I think he still had that same mindset early on and then it clicked. He had that terrible game in Cleveland and it clicked after yeah. that and he started taking what was there more often and he got red hot. And so... You know, I don't know if, if that's even something that's possible for Matt Ryan until this offensive line improves. But I think if I was Frank Reich, I would have him on this 10-day little mini-buy studying film of, of Philip Rivers in 2020. And whatever it was Rivers did, you know, Ryan needs to tap into that. You know what's truly, truly maddening about what you just said, George? Because you were 100% right in everything you just said. It feels like Matt Ryan's trying to do too much. He, he doesn't clearly and rightfully so does not trust the offensive line whatsoever. So that's fair. Uh, he is right in thinking that. With that said, though, you're talking about him not trusting that the you know, the next play is going to be there, not wanting to basically you know but try to do too much and, and try to make a hero play out of nothing, making chicken you know salad out of you know what, a chicken you know what. That is exactly why the Colts got rid of Carson Wentz last year. He yep. did the same thing. And they were frustrated by it. And what did we hear all offseason? We're bringing in Matt Ryan because why? He can make the layups. He can do what Carson Wentz could not do, which is basically make the easy throws. And the Colts felt, right or not, it does not seem like that's the right answer right now, but they felt that as long as they just have a quarterback who can just take the easy throws and basically keep them in second and third and manageable, they're going to score a lot of points and be a successful football team, make the playoffs, win the division, then everything's going to be okay. That is not the case. And guess what? Matt Ryan right now is not playing his part in that. He is somehow, somehow, George, 
worse than Carson Wentz and more careless than Carson. He has seven picks. Carson Wentz had seven picks all of last year. And there were some maddening, stupid interceptions and fumbles and times where Carson Wentz would have been better off like 95% of quarterbacks do and just fall down. Some of Tom Brady's best plays, George, are falling down. What do they say in poker, right? It's it's not about the hand you win. It's about knowing when to fold. That Matt Ryan is not knowing when to fold. And, man, it's killing the Colts. Two more yep. fumbles. Neither were lost somehow. Good thing for Quentin Nelson being heads up on the one that was just egregious when he's getting wrapped up by two guys and still holding the ball out. And he's getting wrapped up by two different Broncos going out to the ground where he had no nothing there. And throws two picks. Second game already the season out of five, where he had zero touchdown passes and two interceptions. He is not right now taking the laps. He is killing this team because he is somehow out Carson Wentzing Carson Wentz. You know, and coming in, I thought the five interceptions were a little bit inflated because, I mean, two of them in, in Jacksonville were just, they didn't matter. The, the game right. was out game of was reach well and you're just hand. trying to make something happen and, and you really don't care in that situation. And then the one against Tennessee was just a great play by the defensive end. I mean, there's a lot you can say on that. They had a wide open guy and, and Tier Tart just gets up and, and tips it and catches it himself. And that's probably, you run that play 10 times right. and that's the one time it ends in an interception. Today, though, he was forcing the ball to Michael Pittman on both of those picks. And maybe he learned. Maybe later on, maybe that's why we started to see more of Alec Pierce. Maybe that's the answer there. You know, he was trying to force the ball to number 11. And once he's kind of trusted those other guys, all of a sudden Paris Campbell's making plays in the fourth quarter. Alec Pierce is making plays in the fourth quarter in overtime. I, I think he needs to trust his – his look, I, I don't blame him for not trusting the offensive line, but I think he needs to trust his playmakers a little bit more than he has so far. I get why you want to get Michael Pittman involved – I think there probably was an emphasis on that coming in. He didn't get targeted definitely in the fourth quarter. I'm not sure he got targeted in the second half against Tennessee. In a one-score game, that's that's unfathomable. I'm sure that was a big focus. But you've got to trust these other guys. I mean, they, they've stepped up and shown you. Kyle Granson had a another nice play late today. You know, Paris Campbell's done it for two straight weeks. Alec Pierce, as we talked about, as we're coming on, we were absolutely – banging these receivers and tight ends all off season long, all early part of the season, they have started to step up and Matt Ryan needs to understand that and trust them. You hope, like you said, that they'll really that fourth quarter kind of, he starts to learn because especially that second pick to Caden Stearns where you just staring him down and he makes a break on it. Cause that was basically just a, just a gimme. Like you can't be making those just stupid decisions. Like you said, are costing your team and somehow credit to the defense today, for how great they played, I, or I know the Broncos' offense is a mess. And Russell Wilson, I'm not sure if Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan, by the way, George, had like a side bet of who can play worse and who have the worst interceptions. Because Matt Ryan's two picks, he threw, he threw, it looked nothing compared to the two awful picks that, that Russell Wilson threw on Thursday night. That was just a game of who can make the worst interception, and both were winning that one for sure. But it's just like... I, I hope this is a learning lesson, but also feels like George is in here week five. It feels like deja vu all over again because we're talking about Matt Ryan needing to trust his guys, need to be, you know, taking better care of the ball. And then here we are again, seeing him holding the ball out, making bad decisions, and again, putting the ball in harm's way where even sometimes there was, you know, there's some near picks where mm -hmm. he got lucky with a drop or two, you know, as well, where his number could be even higher than, uh, than the seven that is right now through five games. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he, he's got to play better. There's no question about that. The offensive line has to improve first and foremost, and yes. Matt Ryan has to play better. That being said, I don't think 
I don't think a quarterback change is going to change anything right now. I don't think anybody's going to look good behind this line right now. Um, and, I, and I don't think that's the answer. I, I don't think Nick Foles is going to suddenly walk in here and, and, you know, look like the Super Bowl MVP that he was in 2017. So they've just, they've got to get better play from Matt Ryan. It has to start right now. I will say this. You, you go back. I did a little bit of this this week. Andrew Luck threw five games in 2018. I think had six turnovers. I think he had five picks, and, and if he had lost the fumble. Uh, I think that it was five interceptions for uh, Philip for Rivers, Rivers through five yeah. weeks with, with just four touchdowns. So we've seen this happen before. Some of it's what we were talking about you know, on the last pod, that, that new quarterback thing. It's going on in Denver with Russell Wilson as well, trying to get adjusted and, and find your way. But stuff like those two interceptions today, none of that applies. You know, that's just bad football, period. I don't care if it's with a new team, with an old team. You can't just stare down your number one receiver and force the ball to him and throw the ball to the other team. It seems pretty simple when you say it out loud, uh, but, you know, you you absolutely, it can't happen, uh, and it needs to stop happening. Those are the two things that that are holding this offense back. The turnovers from Matt Ryan. The rest of the time, he's pretty good. That's the most frustrating thing. He's the only guy coming into this week. He was the only guy through the first four weeks with two 350-plus yard passing games. But when you turn the ball over like this, it doesn't matter. You, you're, you're kind of taking away you know, one good thing, one bad thing. It's, it's not adding up. And he's normally efficient today or Thursday was not 26 out of 40, but normally he's an efficient guy where he's getting a high completion percentage. Sometimes again, completing the ball too many times the other team, but it's just like, it is one of those things where like I said, when he, you, you cannot take away the turnovers because clearly that's the biggest reason why right now the Colts are two, two and one and not, you know, three, one and one or, or three, you know, four and one, maybe like the way they play, they're better than they're better than the record says they are. But at the same time, it's like also, you see Matt Ryan playing. It's like he's playing like a rookie. Like honestly, yep. like a lot of mistakes he's making for a 15-year veteran. I know it's his first year with the Colts, but he does look like a rookie out there. It's making a lot of these simple mistakes, and for what he was advertised as being, it's been the total opposite. And that's I think a, a huge frustrating part is that everything we were promised and the the areas he was supposed to improve the quarterback position for this team the most. He's actually improved at the least. And is there anything, yep. you know, take it and make it even worse than it was last year? That's yep. like you mentioned, it's been a trend, right? With Frank Reich and new quarterbacks the last few years where they haven't got slow starts and similar, you know, no, no real secret that the quarterback plays well, the rest of the team plays well. Kind of week six, week seven has always been that magic number where the team turns it around. But at least through five weeks, George, this team has given you no indication that they're ready to turn it around. And that Ryan's all of a sudden going to, you know, go on a big run. It's never been this bad. I mean, no, it's never it's been not. 20, 21 sacks now. 21 sacks through five games. I mean, that's that's David Carr that's stuff. Cool. You know, I mean, that that's first of all, people aren't gonna have to worry about it. the people that want Matt Ryan benched aren't gonna have to worry about that. If this consi- continues, he won't make it through the season. He will not be in one piece. If, if this continues where he's sacked 21 times and he's hit, I don't know, probably 50, you know, that's that that issue would take care of itself at that point. I mean, they have got to to clean that up. And you would hope this is kind of your last chance. I we feel like we keep saying every week's the last chance, but it's kind of your last chance. Somehow, some way, you're two, two, and one at the end of all this. Somehow, some way, you will be no worse than a half game out of first place in your division when Sunday's over. And somehow, some way, you still have a chance to do some things this year. This bye week, 
mini bye week, you've got to clean up the offensive line and you've got to get the quarterback's head on straight. That those two things have to happen right now in the next 10 days. Um, because somehow, some way the, the football universe has, has given you life. I'm not sure how, when you look at some of these numbers, it's, it's really incredible, but the fact of the matter is they won't be worse than a half game out of first place. When we wrap up play on Sunday, I was joking on Twitter during the game, George, but also kind of serious. Like Matt Ryan, like you mentioned, might not make it through the year. Like he might retire. Like I, I would not be surprised if he's like Avante Davis just goes in a halftime. Like if he went into the locker room at Denver on Thursday and just said, you know what, halftime, you guys are getting me killed back here. Like I'm gonna walk away before you know I can't walk away. I wouldn't have. I would have faulted him. I would not have been surprised if he comes out of the, you know out of the locker room retired in the second half because. Right through five games, like you mentioned, they're getting no protection. He's getting hit 12 quarterback hits on the game, uh, in addition to six sacks. So it's just like he's not forget make it like his wife. I'm like, Matt, you're done. Like, you, you were, you know, we need you around here. And this offensive line's not gonna, you know, give you a chance to, to sit upright. It's, it's bad. And like you said, for and then the worst part is, is I mean, for how much of a statue Matt Ryan is. Nick Foles might even be more of a statue. So it's just, there's no option. Like it's Matt Ryan or, or bust for sure. But boy, another game where to his credit, fourth quarter, did make some throws, did make some plays, even under siege. Even when oh, the balls are getting almost tipped out of his hand at, at times with how much pressure he's facing. Uh, he did manage to, uh, to make it through and get a Colts win here. One thing I want to say really quickly here, George, before we move on to some positives, because there were, we've talked about it a little bit. There are some positives coming out of this 12-9 ugly, ugly win in Denver. I thought somehow for how bad the Colts played, for how bad the Broncos played, I thought the refs were worse. I thought the referees were horrendous. And especially in that last drive with two minutes, I would... Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew no. what down it was. The 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 off offsides penalties at first and ten. Somehow they were going to give the Colts a first and ten on an offsides penalty, which made absolutely no sense. Which they enforced. Then you have a player taking up the field for a, a you know for a spotter getting a, you know uh, spotting a concussion possibly, and all of a sudden the play clock resets to ten and no one has a heads up. I've never heard of that rule before, George. I know that I know the new concussion spotter thing is new, where you take a player off the field mid play. But also at the same time, um, I never heard of a play clock resetting at 10, and they gave no Matt Ryan no indication uh, of that. And you get a, a bad delay game that, again, hurt the Colts late there. It, I thought the, 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 some of the penalties were a little weak, not making excuses. No. I just thought that the referees were ju- on par somehow even worse than the, how these two teams played. And they were bad both ways. I mean, I think they, they yes. hurt both yes. teams. Um, it was... It wasn't a good performance for them either, but maybe they just felt like, you know what? We're not going to give our best effort either. We're watching this. We're out here. We're just going to pass it I think the smartest people in that stadium were the Denver fans that left at the end of the fourth quarter. They they were the ones that won today. No one else. I give them all the credit. Uh, they, you know, they did better than the rest. They did better than both teams. Hats off to the Denver fans for walking out. Thank you for bringing that. Shame on me. It took us a half hour into this pod to bring it up. You are 100% right, George. The fans that walked... First of all, I have never seen, have you, because you, especially you being in a lot of these stadiums, have you ever seen a situation where forget like a close game, 
a tie game. The fans said, screw this. I have seen enough. I'm getting out of here. I've never seen a mass exodus of fans leaving a tie game with, I think it was what, 10 seconds? Like that was right. I believe it was just when yeah. the Colts kicked the field goal to go to overtime. I've never Five. seen that. Five seconds left. Also, at the same time, I can't say they're they're at fault. Good I saw, for them. I, I saw in Houston one year, I saw a mass exodus and the Texans came back and won. It was one of those big comeback games uh, when J.J. Watt was, I think J.J. Watt got hurt at the end of it. Uh, I want to say it was like 2016, 2015, sometime in that range. But that's okay. different. Like you're talking about, they were way behind when the fans left and then they came back and won. Right. I don't. I can't ever recall a tie game going to overtime and the fans say, nah, we, we've had enough. But you know yeah. what? They beat that the traffic. So wild. They beat the traffic. And I, I don't know if you've been to downtown Denver. It's a nice place. There's a lot to do down there. They they probably were better off wherever they were when they saw the end of that game. They were better off than they would have been in their seats. So hats off to the Broncos fans. I mean, I everyone's brain was was numb watching those two offenses trying to put, you know, uh, put even two first down together. So you know what? Credit the. I hope they get a refund. I know the NFL would never. <laughs> I think the fans in attendance specifically that somehow paid good, hard-earned money to watch that atrocity should be refunded because my goodness, that was awful. <laughs> That's still <laughs> the broadcast. Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit like were just shot. Like they're like, what are we seeing? <laughs> that was truly unbelievable. Tie game overtime, which should be 99.9% of the time. It's still an exciting moment. Like you said, everyone's rushing to their seats. You're in the bathroom. You're running to get back. Everyone could not get out of that stadium. Let me ask you this really quickly. Do you even beat the traffic? Well, like half the stadium is saying, screw the question. You, you actually might question. beat the traffic by staying and watching into the game. Then you would right now leave them right for overtime. Started. That's a really, that's a really good question. <laughs> I don't know. They may have caused the traffic jam, but I just... I'll tell you, that that game deserved that. I will say that 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 game deserved the mass exodus. So, hey, you know what? It's a win, right? We come back. It's a win. Uh, we're gonna find some positives in, in a victory for the Colts. That is true. And as our great producer Bill does point out, Matt Ryan's owed twenty nine million dollars next year. So we were kind of joking about him walking away, maybe retiring mid year. Look, twenty nine million dollars is a lot. <laughs> if you have to stay behind that if it's line for for twelve more games, I don't know if it's worth it, George. I don't know if that's worth it for sure. That's going to be a, a test of will, to say the least. My goodness. My goodness. But know. like you mentioned, you just tease it. 12-9 win in which a game uh, where both teams scored zero touchdowns. It was ugly. There were some positives from the Colts. So let's finish, at least on a good note, for what was a Colts win. So we'll get you the few positives, which players really stood out in this Thursday night game. We'll do it in the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Does return. George, we did promise some positives. Now, look, I'll be honest here. Let's just pull back the curtain. We were doing this podcast after after the game. It was a very ugly game. Very few things to feel good about for the Colts. It's 1 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast. I think at this point, we're just delusional. For what we see, loopy, delusional, whatever you want to call it. So this is a little weird, but I will say, I want to start here with one of the positives. Has nothing to do with the Colts whatsoever. The Broncos post-game press conference just wrapped up, and something I saw gave me the biggest laugh and the biggest <laughs> smile, George, even more than the Colts winning the game. I am more joyous listening to this six-second bite from Russell Wilson 
that am even even with the Colts winning on a walk-off field goal just for the path that they got there and how ugly it was. So I want to play for you guys here to maybe just give you a little, little smile. If you're down still, even though the Colts won, if you're down frustrated with how they're playing, rightfully so, maybe the Russell Wilson will kind of cheer up a little bit. So let's not forget, right, George? This is a Broncos offense coming off a game. They just scored nine points, three field goals. That's it in an overtime loss in which Russell Wilson threw two of the worst picks we'll ever see. Threw one up for, literally threw it up to the coach. I think he just, for whatever reason, Rodney Thomas, fun story, take a pick. Here's a freebie on me. Then somehow that was bad enough, right? You think that's the worst pick of the day. Arguably, George, the second one, just over two minutes to go, clinging my three-point lead, goes, ah, let me try Stephon Gilmore in the end zone, a place we haven't gone all game. Boom, picked off to give the Colts life. And as we know, they drove down the field to eventually tie the game. And then on fourth and one, game on the line, he says, ah, Gilmore got me once. I'll get him again. Psych. Gilmore knocks away, end the game, and the Broncos. Not only have their fans booing when they're winning most of the game, don't score a touchdown at home, have their fans leaving the game for a tie game. And then Russell Wilson ends his press conference like this. Folks, take a listen to this piece. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Broncos country. Broncos country. Let's ride. Let's ride. After scoring nine points in a loss. George, you can't finish. You cannot end the press conference like that. You can't. No, especially not after those two goal-to-goal situations there where where you throw the pick to to Stephon Gilmore, and then on fourth and one, you (laughs) – you get broken up. You, you can't do that. First of all, I think both franchises, you know, there's that battle kind of between Indy and Denver, like who does Peyton Manning belong to? And we all know it's Indianapolis because he was here for 14 years. The, both franchises should lose their rights to Peyton Manning because of this game. The, the offenses were so bad, neither one of them should be able to claim him anymore. He's officially ESPN's. Peyton Manning made the, led the charge, brother, before the fans leave. I think he may have been the first one out the door and said, all right, <laughs> Peyton's leaving. What the hell are we still doing here? He is uh, natural I, leader. He is a natural leader. He that he is. But sure, I mean that sounds like a college football coach. No, it's that's all. Broncos awful. country, let's ride. It's yeah. too wordy. Not to mention after a loss, you you say to him, I get Russell Wilson's always a positive guy, right? We talk about Matt Reinhardt and his always upbeatness and, and never feeling out of it. Russell Wilson's like that on steroids. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I take too much joy because yeah. that is just so. It's almost like I kind of said in a way, but that is truly unbelievable, George. I will say this. That's, you know, maybe the first positive here for the Colts fans is, hey, you didn't lose this game. As ugly as this game was, you were on the winning end of it. You know how bad the win felt. Imagine how it feels to lose. And then, you know, here, let's ride. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're a Broncos fan. You might be more pissed at that than the game itself. The Colts equivalent. Our producer Bill, Colts Quinn will be uh let's was it Colts Nation saddle up? That was his uh his <laughs> creation. I like that. If for the shoe. For the shoe, whatever you want to say. If they ended a pre- if Frank if the Colts lost this game and Frank Reich had the gall to say for the shoe, Colts Nation saddle up. He should have if a little I'm anvil. <laughs> Frank Reich needs a little anvil that he can pound there on the on the on the podium. I think that would that would spice up these these post game pressers. Yeah, we need more college antics. That is that is for sure. <laughs> spice up always a, a dull 
dull game. But George, you did mention outside of just that that hilarious clip, there are some other positives here, Colts specifically. Let's start with the man who we just mentioned, just tormented Russell Wilson tonight, Stephon Gilmore. Arguably his yep. best game as a Colt so far in these five games. Mostly on Cortland Sutton did a great job in the end zone, like you mentioned, getting that interception to give really the Colts' life. Like they were dead. That offense mm-hmm. was totally dead all game long. That really kind of gave him a shot of energy, breaks up the, the game winning pass or what could have been the game winning touchdown pass in the end zone to seal the game. He was tremendous. He was a ball hawk. He was everything the Colts like thought they were getting from a former All Po uh, or a former, excuse me, Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, you know, and I think I don't think it's any coincidence. The two games that they won, Stephon Gilmore played his two best games. You know, the Kansas City game and and this one here against Denver, those are the two best games that Stephon Gilmore's played. I think he's been invaluable to this secondary. I'm not sure a kid like Rodney Thomas comes in and plays the way that he did. He's another positive, by the way, with the interception. But also, let's talk about this guy for a minute. Two of your first three NFL games are against Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson, they both test you deep and you knock away the ball both times coming out of nowhere to, to get the breakup. Uh, he did that early in the game. You know, yeah, the interception was kind of a, a gift for him, but he had, you know, Russell tried to go deep early in that game and Ronnie Thomas was not having it. Uh, but I'm not sure a kid like that, a seventh round pick out of Yale is as confident coming in without Stephon Gilmore being in that that position group with him. And Gilmore's been so invaluable at getting these guys ready, at teaching them little tricks to look for from the quarterback, from the wide receivers, from the offensive linemen, whatever it may be. You know, Alec Pierce said early on, I think one of the reasons Alec Pierce is breaking out and being so good is that Stephon Gilmore basically bullied him during training camp (laughs) and got inside his head. But Pierce said on this show that Gilmore knew the route he was running better than he did. But he's been sharing that with these defensive backs. And I think also another positive, hey, Kenny Moore, he broke up the one touchdown that that Denver seemed to have early on. Kenny Moore got his hand in there and knocked that ball out, and it looked like the old Pro Bowl version of Kenny Moore. So that's a good thing to see, too. All of this secondary, they've been the strength of this team, I think, when they play aggressive like they did today. That's not up to them. We'll leave that for another conversation. But when they're in aggressive coverage like they were today, they've been the strength of this team, and I think it all starts with number five. 100% right. And, and like you said, too, the, the the invaluable lessons he teaches, like I mentioned, when you get to the NFL level, unless you are like a 1% of a 1%, just relying on your athletic ability – you can't, you're going to get burned and you're going to get toasted more times than not. So it's like that smarts. And like you said, it's playing that confidence, knowing what to look for. And Rodney Thomas, like you said, in the two wins, he's had some big pass breakups deep. And he's, you know, he's made some impactful plays for this cold secondary. And especially in that Chiefs game, he came in, you know, cold when Julian Blackman gets hurt. This game, obviously, he kind of knew he started, but a short week nonetheless. Still, you know, they were testing him, like you mentioned. They were not shy and knew he was out there. He stepped up to the challenge. Really, really, really impressed. Like I said, Kenny Moore kind of got back on track for the first time in a while as well. It was great to see. I thought DeForest Buckner has been banged up this year, and that's been you know part of the reason why his impact has not been felt. But you sh- for sure felt his impact on Thursday night. He was all over the place, batting down balls, getting in Russ's face, doing a great job stuffing the run. I thought overall, too, George, the run defense was really good. I know they got yep. worn down towards the end, and – Honestly, I'm not going to put that on them. Like when you're out there for that long and the offense is doing nothing, it's almost kind of demoralizing. Like it's almost kind of depressing how, you know, how much they're out there and how, you know, well they're playing with, with no results. I think that's more of it than just, you know, getting, you know, just the, the Broncos offense line kind of dominating. Defensively, there's really no area you can kind of point to and say that was a weakness or a struggle. They, all three levels played really well. 
And they did a great job, like you mentioned. I know this offense for Denver has been struggling, but also did a good job of not allowing them or letting them to go. Because another thing, too, for the Colts, we've seen this first half. This Colts defense is more times than not, you know, gone MIA. Texans, Jaguars, Chiefs, Titans. They, they've they been really good in the second half and not so great in the first half most of the year, but I do think that they are the one unit that has kind of come out and more often than not given this team a chance to win. Jacksonville's really the only time where they didn't keep them in the game, and even then they didn't let it get as bad as it probably should have. Uh, but I just... It goes back to the offense, you know? I mean, it, it's what makes this so frustrating. The defense is making plays now. The one thing they weren't doing was really getting turnovers. They got two of them today, two huge ones today. Mm-hmm. Um and and really, I, the end of the game is a turnover too. I mean, that's that's a turnover on downs, so it's right. not going to go down officially that way. But you know, you get a, a huge stop and and win the game. So um, they've closed out both wins. The defense has one with an interception, the breakup today. So you know, I, I feel like the defense deserves better results than than it's been getting. The offense has no excuse. I mean, you're more than a month in. You're still the worst offense in the league. I think it's a pretty good gap. Denver's probably the second worst offense in the league now. They were third worst coming in, but uh, this nine-point performance is probably going to put them at 31. So I I just – there are some positives on offense we talked about earlier. Some of the tight ends stepping up, not so much today, but in the last couple of weeks. Alec Pierce is a huge positive. They've got to figure something out up front, and they've got to figure something out. Matt Ryan's going to start playing smart football. That's what he was brought in to do. You nailed that mm-hmm. earlier in the show. You know, he was brought in here to clean that stuff up so we wouldn't have these conversations, and it, it's been worse. And you can make whatever excuse you want. I mean, he's definitely being hit way too many times. I think that's playing into this, but it doesn't matter. You're here. You're the quarterback. It's your job to overcome it, and it's your job to, to you know, get this team on track. they got a 10-day break now. They need to make it happen. Absolutely do. And, and you mentioned the offense. There were some positives. Look, credit to Deion Jackson. You know, mm-hmm. he comes in, got a weren't expecting to play a lot. Obviously, Naeem Hines was going to expect it to be the starter and get a lot of the reps with Jonathan Taylor out. Scary situation for him on, what was it, the third play of the game, right? I believe he yeah. gets hit, wobbling off. Very scary, clearly, especially what happened with Tua Tungvaloa a week and a half ago. You knew right away, no sh- uh, you know, no shot. He's coming back in to play the game. Hopefully, Naeem still better. Um, and you know, we'll be in good spirits, uh, in these next few days for sure. But Deion Jackson comes in 13 carries 62 yards. And honestly, George, even though they, as a team ran for 106 yards total, they had by far their, their most, you know, competitive and most competent run game since week one against the Texans. Yeah. It wasn't even close. Right. Uh, and I think some, I think some of that, you know, came when Danny Pitter came in the game. I mean, in all honesty, he started get a little bit of push up there as we were talking about i would make him one of the positives i think the offensive line got a little better when he came in very true. Uh, you know what happens going forward we'll see uh one thing on naheem i just want to say he's one of the truly good guys in this league he's you know he worked at bojangles i think his first off season um he's just he's one of those guys that from the moment that he came in when they drafted him the very first media availability we had with him you just felt like if you were any like hiring boss anywhere in any industry you'd want this guy working for you uh so you know you never want to see anything like this happen to anybody naheem in particular uh you know just best of thoughts with him and 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 hoping that it's it's not as scary a situation as it certainly appeared to be yeah it was very ugly for sure and hopefully like i say it was nice that at least walked off better than he started for sure um but credit Deion jackson coming and playing really well and Mm -hmm. we mentioned his name before but, I mean, Alec Pierce, by far his best game, and by far 
the game where he stepped up and not only made some catches and got some yards, but got him in some big time moments here. Eight catches, 81 yards. And again, especially in the, you know, on that last drive of the fourth quarter to tie the game, stepped up with a, a big catch to prevent what could have been a game, you know, game losing interception by Matt Ryan. Uh, when he got hit, makes another diving catch along the sideline and played so well that again, the, the, the Broncos rolled Patrick Sertan, their best corner, on him late in the game because that's how much Alec Pierce w- was killing him. You see the confidence now developing, and you see now the talent starting to show George from what was their former second round pick. Yeah, and I think that that's going to open up more stuff for this offense because it's going to be harder now to to put all of your eggs in the Michael Pittman basket. You know, I think early on the, the plan was stuff the run and double team Pittman and make it make the other guys beat you. And now Jelani Woods and Alec Pierce have stepped up and said, "Okay, we'll do that." If that's the plan, we'll we'll be the ones to win the game. And I think that that's now Matt Ryan has to trust that first and foremost. And he's got to be more willing to not force the ball to Michael Pittman and throw two interceptions. And the offensive line, if you can solve that, that's that's the frustrating thing about this season. We've been talking about it now for five weeks. It doesn't change one week to the next. If they could solve this offensive line, there are so many other bright spots at the skill position spots that this thing could turn around in a hurry. But it feels like saying, if I could win the lottery, you know, then I'd be rich. I'd be rich. You know, it's the same time. I'd retire and be happy, right. Like, the odds feel about the same right now. And that's that's why we keep coming back to having that empty feeling in your stomach after winning a game on the road. They had no business winning. You know what I mean? There's no way the Colts should be walking away from that stadium tonight, 2-2-1. and But here they are. Thank you, Stephon Gilmore. Thank you, Grover Stewart. Thank you, that entire defense. Thank you, Alec Pierce and Deion Jackson. But and Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett. And Russell they, Wilson they, and Nathaniel Hackett. They helped out as well. <laughs> Thank you, Russell Wilson, for targeting Stephon Gilmore twice in the end zone. But you, there's no optimism moving forward, and it's all because of this offense. And 90% of it is is the offensive line and Matt Ryan. I, I don't think those two things can be separated. I think one is causing the other. I think they're very much of a kind. And they need to get it fixed. Plain we and simple. Talk, you're 100% right. We've talked multiple times. This team's going to go as far as the offensive line is going to take them. And right now, it's not very far whatsoever. And the last thought, uh, at least for Thursday night, is this. We are seeing now somehow the question marks coming into this team on offense. All the skilled players outside of Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. They are now starting to become answers and starting to become reliable targets. The one sure thing or the one group we felt confident about-ish was the offensive line, and they're going the other way. So the question marks are starting to become answers, and now the answers that we thought we had in the preseason are starting to become major question marks. The the tides are reversing. It's very backwards, um, and it's like the better the skill guys get, the worse the offensive line gets. It's an inverse. It's infuriating. And like you said, that's the biggest reason why we're sitting here for a 2-2-1 two, two, and one team that record-wise, talent-wise, is there. It should be in contention, but you just look at it. It's just the offense is just so broken because the five guys cannot allow this offense to actually function the way it's supposed to function. Well, I, I can't imagine. If you told me in training camp that the biggest areas of concern on offense right now would be the offensive line, Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor, I would think they'd be 0-5. I mean, it's really incredible to to think about, you know, how badly those things have gone. And Taylor, probably the least worrisome of of those 
that group. He's not at the numbers that you want him to be at, but I think a lot of that is not of his doing. Um, he only has the one turnover as opposed to nine and uh, well, 10 now. Right. So um, mm-hmm. you just look, Matt Ryan's got to hold on to the football. The offensive line has got to give him a minute to find somebody. And they've got to, they've got to get back to running the ball. I know that, look, you can argue about whether that should be their identity or not, but that's absolutely who they've been all the way back to 2018 when Andrew Luck was here. Run the football. That that week two win against Washington that year, I thought was sort of the, the snapshot of what Frank Reich wants to see. They got like, I think it was a 21 to 10 or something like that, but they ran the ball down their throat. Mm-hmm. Luck was efficient. He made plays when he had to. And the defense made some big, big plays. I think that was kind of Shaq Leonard's coming out party, 19 yes. tackles and a yes. huge stop, you know, late in there. That's who this team wants to be. They could not be further from that picture right now. I feel like we're just repeating ourselves. Offensive line, Matt Ryan through five weeks. Thank God it's not a drinking game because we'd all be drunk and we'd all have alcohol poisoning. If this was kind of offensive line misses a block, drink. Matt Ryan turnover, drink. It, it'd be a dangerous game for, for Colts fans everywhere. That is for sure, George. Holding penalty wipes out a big play. Oh. Finish your drink. <laughs> God, you are... You got to laugh because you know what? The, the only other alternative is to cry right now. And the laughing at least helps ease the pain whatsoever. But you know, also helps ease the pain, George. A win. At the end of the day, a win is a win. There's no pictures in the record book, right? It's just a win or loss. And they got or a tie. And they got that win for sure. Two, two, and one so far after five weeks. A 12 9 touchdown list game. So I think this, the 12 points they got in this win were the fewest they've gotten in the winter 2008. So, of course, you know, if Matt, if Peyton Manning can do it, why can't uh, Matt Ryan do it for sure as well? Colts fans, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Uh, again, I I still don't feel great about this team. And this, I don't, still don't feel about the, the win, great about the win in general, how ugly it was. But it's a win, George. It's a win. 10 days off. And then how about this? An NFL Sunday with no stress and no missed blocks or ugly offensive football to watch. I look forward no to that. Sacks. I, no sacks. Cannot wait. Colts fans, enjoy a weekend that will definitely be stress-free for sure. And we'll talk to you next week when the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return.